Welcome to Vinyl Preacher. Allow us to reintroduce ourselves in the words of paraphrase Jay-Z. Uh, we are the Vinyl Preacher. Uh, I am Matt Cadle at uh, St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles and uh, Lutheran Campus Ministry at USC in Northridge, apparently. <laughs> and I'm Zach Paris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado in Boulder. In Naropa University, America's only Buddhist college. Awesome. And we have gathered to uh, gather digitally to talk about the text for the, is this the second Sunday after Epiphany? That's right. Gotcha. Epiphany is such an odd season. And like, do you call it, is it the season of Epiphany? Is it the season after Epiphany? Technically in the Lutheran church, season after Epiphany. But, you know, the themes, all these readings from Isaiah are about light. So it's still kind of like, you know, the light's still shining throughout this season, whether you want to call it after Epiphany or of Epiphany. Matt, yeah, I am a close personal friend of Kevin Strickland. <laughs> Kevin Strickland is the director of worship uh, for the oh. Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Has a beautiful little cubicle in the cubicle farm up there uh, by O'Hare Airport. Uh, we went to we were involved in, in Lutheran student movement stuff together as undergraduates. He was at Newberry College. I was at Clemson, both in South Carolina. Uh, we need to get him on the pod. And we need to corner and pin him down on this issue because, right, as you mentioned, for Lutherans, there is no season of Epiphany. Epiphany is just a day. But for Episcopalians, they get a whole season of Epiphany, and I am staunchly pro-Epiphany, pro-season yeah. of Epiphany. Why? Tell me why. Why? Why not? Like you said, right, there's consistency in the text of all the light, but also, right, I think that would invite us deeper into, well, man— now you get me to back off of it a bit. No, I'm with you. I I, I think it's much more interesting than, uh, I mean, what's it? Is just another ordinary time? It's it like would just second. be ordinary time. I think the case against it, here's what I would say for the case against it. The case yeah. against it, now that I've completely flip-flopped, uh, <laughs> is that I think you probably need some breathing room if you're going to really go for it with Lent and Easter. Otherwise, I mean, you're starting Advent one all the way through to Pentecost without yes. some really high intensity stuff. So maybe you need to break it up. Maybe it needs to be a time of rest in the life of the church. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Then why do you haven't have church the other six months of the year, right? Yeah, I think you got to go full throttle. I hear you because I, I think that that is a that is wise advice, right? Because if you want to go, if you want to really turn it up for Lent, then you're going to have to think about how you spend how you spend this season. But I don't think that precludes us from saying like. Yeah, but we're going to have like this sort of like epiphany theme and be thinking about light and things like that. And we may want to do it in a little bit more of a low key way than we might do it uh, in, say, Lent or Easter. But yeah, it definitely makes more. Otherwise, I don't really like it's like I don't know what to do with this season. You know, it's like you sort of like lose the momentum. I think there is like consistency by saying that there's like these two halves of the year from Advent to Pentecost mm -hmm. and then the time after Pentecost. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you have this weird, like, <laughs> hiccup in the middle, it's hard to know what to do with that. I mean, I guess the trouble is that the stars and light, which is, is so much of the imagery of, of Epiphany, yeah. uh, just don't go very well with green. <laughs> yeah, well, we got to get rid of that, for one thing. Like, come on. Green in this season? Green should just be like, oh, well, there's too much green, for one thing. You got mm -hmm. like, to figure out, like, multiple uh, vestments and pyramids, because it gets really boring if you just have the same freaking green in there right for like years like it's just unbelievable and then like yeah it doesn't really fit so we do like i don't know i guess i've done different things i have I a proposal yeah i have a proposal matt uh i don't know if you knew this but my driver's license says that i'm a 33 year old male but i'm actually a 12 year old boy because this morning at 5.30 a.m. on Monday, January 9th, 2017, I woke up and couldn't go back to sleep because I'm too excited slash nervous slash anxious uh, for an event that's happening at 6.15 Mountain Time tonight. There may be a sporting contest of some kind. I don't really, I don't really follow the details that much. I just yeah. uh, pin all of my emotional health uh, and self-esteem and self-worth to the results of these games. Didn't this also happen last year? Uh, th their calendar is much like the liturgical calendar. You move in circles, you end up in the same places. Uh, but there's one big problem with the liturgical calendar, and that's that there's no orange. There is not an orange liturgical season, right? True. You can True. red, you can cheat 
You could cheat yeah. some orange out of Pentecost. You could maybe cheat out of like Easter Day when you could do like suns and stuff. My first thought was that Epiphany should be blue, especially, right? We could continue the Advent thing, but blue's too close to purple back to back. We need something a little more contrasty. How about an orange season of Epiphany? To really draw in the light thing, so you then you're not blue, not green, yeah. and we get to 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 be more inclusive of the rainbow. I like it. I am I am on board with that. I'm on board with with either that uh, or swapping and doing orange during like during Easter too. Like really mm-hmm. yellow for lights in Epiphany, and then orangish for Easter. I like I that. Need, I need I need another pair of chucks to wear. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. We are going to get Kevin Strickland on the on the horn, on the blower here. <laughs> and we're going to figure this out. How do we change it? Is it in the Constitution? I don't think so. Cool. Well, that was a lengthy intro to the season. <laughs> or, la- or lack thereof. <laughs> and uh, in this particular season, it's year A of Epiphany. Ooh. The time after Epiphany, the season of Epiphany, whatever you want to call it, it is year A. And in year A, uh, we uh, often get, so we're going to get these two call stories. We usually get a call story. And then uh, we're going to actually have two weeks of call stories this year. And then we get the Sermon on the Mount. And depending on when uh, Lent and Easter fall, that will dictate how much of the Sermon on the Mount you get. Uh, and they start a little bit late this year. Ash Wednesday isn't until March 1st. So we actually get like six, seven weeks of the Sermon on the Mount. We get to really spend some time with it. Uh, so that's the season of Epiphany, year A. Fantastic, Matt. I can't. There is only one thing I enjoy more than the Sermon on the Mount or plane. Uh, <laughs> that's reading other people's sermons on Blogspot websites. It's really where I find life. Just kidding. I don't like to read other people's sermons. Sorry. <laughs> But there are some, uh, also during the season, there's some things like overlaid on the season. So, uh, for example, February is Black History Month, uh, and in many of the African descent churches, I mean, that's going to be a part of the worship. However, you might do that in different ways, uh, but you're probably going to nod to it somehow. Uh, And then that even extends into January a bit, particularly with MLK Sunday. And I think uh, both have stuff going on. What's going on in your context for MLK? Matt. Yeah. Uh, you may have noticed it a bit. It's not just my anxiety over a football game tonight. Uh, I'm a little fussy today. Uh, oh. What you're getting on the pod is you're getting a fussy Zach. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned, Matt, uh, this year, as it always falls on a Monday, uh, this Monday, January 16th, will be MLK Day. MLK Day officially is January 15th which marks the date of his birth in Atlanta, Georgia. And my experience as an undergraduate with MLK Day was really formative. Uh, I went to Clemson University. They happened to have a football team, but that's besides the point. Um, And so they had a whole day of stuff on campus, and I got to do really cool things there that I would not have otherwise been able to do. Through the MLK Day, I got to hear uh, Joseph Lowry speak. I did. I got to hear Joseph Lowry speak, who a, a was a former president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which is a student movement part of the civil rights movement that moved uh, undergraduates all around the South uh, as a part of a part of the movement. There was uh, opportunities for students to go on trips to like Selma and Birmingham for the weekend. Lots of really cool stuff happened. It was also an intentional day of service on campus, right? Because the idea was that the Dr. King's dream wasn't that you'd have a day off to watch Netflix all day, but that maybe you'd have a day off uh, to engage in the world and around you and in your community. So I'm a little bummed and more than bummed, Matt. I'm pissed. Uh, there is nothing happening on campus in Boulder on MLK Day. Literally nothing. Wow. Um, is, is that typical? It's it's not atypical. Uh, last year, our, our Cultural Unity and Engagement Center uh, had a student retreat that weekend. And so that was the main thing we had was this small student retreat that went up to Rocky Mountain National Park, and so nothing was actually happening on campus. You could say classes don't start till Tuesday, the day after, but doesn't seem like a giant barrier to me to having stuff happen. And I mean, we have 30,000 students on campus and 693 of them are African-American. So uh, it's not really an issue for us that needs to come on. Come on, Boulder, right? Be Boulder, all that kind of bullshit about how it, it, 
oh my gosh, inclusive nope. diversity, uh, this incredible opportunity, right? A teaching moment uh, to invite students into to learning uh, an experiential way, especially the kinds of students who wouldn't otherwise seek out those sorts of opportunities. Uh, nothing, nothing, we just waste it. Uh, they're encouraged, the city of Boulder is doing some stuff, uh, but nobody's gonna go do that because students going, they don't leave campus, especially to do stuff that might be impactful with unknown groups in unknown spaces. Um, so I've done this multiple years now, right, where MLK Day sneaks up on me and I'm like, oh, what's happening on campus? We should get plugged into something because I don't feel like I can drive it because I'm a white campus pastor on an incredibly white campus who basically oversees a group of students who are incredibly white. Um, and there are student groups of color and there are, are those groups are working on campus and it probably hasn't felt like it should be the thing that I'm the guy who's here like, hey, you jerks, we should do something for this. But I've had enough, Matt, because I've done it every year for the past three or four years. Uh, next year, we're going to do something on campus. Uh, yeah. Screw screw you, University <laughs> of Colorado, with or without you, some of us jerks are going to take this seriously and do something. Um, yeah, let Lutheran Campus Ministry take the lead. And if... Don't and students, if you're listening, because I know we got tons of students in Boulder who are listening to the podcast. If you're going to do stuff on MLK Day, first of all, look at our Facebook group because we're going to do stuff. And here's what we're not going to do: we're not going to the city of Boulder stuff because we're going to actually go do stuff, uh, do MLK observance stuff uh, in places where you might happen to see a person of color, unlike downtown Boulder, where this stuff will be happening. No, totally. But I also don't think that, like, I mean, I think it's good to like be aware of yourself as a as a white leader, but not to feel like you can't do anything. I mean, I do think like, yeah, like we've got our own responsibilities. And I mean, Martin Luther King and Martin Luther King Jr. were named after Martin Luther. Like we ought to wrestle with that a little bit, right? I don't think we've fully, uh, fully taken that on. So yeah, it should be the Lutherans. That's my plan for next year is that it's on the religious groups, right? There's a religious dimension to this. So we should claim that ownership of it. And let's do, because we got thousands of students on campus who are engaged in religious groups and have a, yeah. uh, the religious groups pull together a day of service. So that's what I'm hoping happens 12 months from now. Otherwise, in our context, there will be a haunting void of, uh, of observance. How about with you guys? We do have something big happening. So. I guess my first couple of years, um, so there's there's always a Martin Luther King Jr. worship service somewhere in the Synod um, that is sponsored by the African Descent Lutheran Association. And I always have some questions about whether we should, like, what would Martin Luther King want us to do? Like, a worship service? Or, like, maybe we could go out and be engaged in the community in some kind of active way, you know? Like, a day of service or a day of advocacy or something like that. But, like, we're going to have another church service like with hymns and everything like I like that right but like mm -hmm. uh, that feels a little inward looking and not uh, not outward looking enough that said so that's the that's that's my challenge but um but that said it has been the last couple of years it has been a really excellent service with really just really excellent music excellent preaching they bring in some great speakers and this year they've really gone all out they've partnered up with the Episcopalians mm -hmm. Bishop Bishop Curry of the Episcopal Church is going to be coming. Nice. Bishop Eaton is going to be there. Um, so, yeah, so we, this is like the go big year uh, mm -hmm. for the Southwest California Synod uh, Martin Luther King service, which will also be a Westchester Lutheran Church. So I could probably walk there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so it should, be, it should be good. It should be a good service. I always tell my people uh, at St. Mark's, like, Hey, it's a Sunday afternoon. I know you don't want to be going to church, and I totally hear you, but this is one service that is uh, worth it. So, um, and we did have a good turnout last year. It's a good, it's a good service. Yeah, cool. and I'm excited. I've never heard Bishop Curry preach before, but I've heard good things, and I've enjoyed his short videos that he puts on social media every now and then. So, it should be good. Yeah, that's not, that's that's very exciting, man. Very exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Slightly, well, slightly more than sure we have going on. <laughs> Curry's spectacular. He's really fun to watch. I've only seen him on the YouTubes. Yeah. Matt, uh, you are so much more well-read in Dr. King than I am. Um, what? Well, took a class in, in seminary. That I means that. 
that means I bought the books. Um, <laughs> what uh, one thing that I think I like that is good to do, like Doctor King Day. Uh, King Day is a good day to to read if you don't have anything else to do. Right, you can read some Doctor King. What is your recommendation of uh, if you're gonna read one thing by Doctor King on Doctor King Day? What would you read? Letter from a Birmingham Jail. Yeah. Let from a Birmingham jail. You can, I mean, you can read anything. There are uh, a lot of great sermons. Where do we go from here? Castro community, a lot of really good ones, but, um, but letter from a Birmingham jail. I know it's the classic. I know it's the one, like you got to read in high school kind of thing, but it really is just excellent and, and mind blowing. And it's written to, it's written from, he's, he's in jail, right? Clearly. Mm -hmm. And he's writing to Christian pastors, Christian leaders, in the white mainline church <laughs> and, right. and he is and he is using all of the language right like he is coming at them theologically right and just just it hits you like a bat to the face like it is really it's just really excellent i'm always blown away um if you want to get beyond the sometimes we really oversimplify dr king with you know i have a dream that one day we'll judge everyone by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And we just boil everything down to that. But um, he is so much deeper and so much more complex than that. And uh, Letter from a Birmingham Jail is a great place to start. In fact, I would even recommend, if your context allows, um, we often get an epistle as the second reading on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And this, this, is, this is exactly a modern-day epistle, right? Yeah. Jail about theological issues. I like that, uh, man. Day. So if your context allows you to be a little bit creative, um, I might even suggest that you take a portion, pull any portion out um, mm -hmm. that you think might be relevant and use that for your second reading for the day. I love that, Matt. I hate letters, right? You know me. I hate Paul. Uh, hate strong. Just as like not a fan of the genre, but this is a way that it makes it, the genre accessible for me. I really like that a lot. I was thinking we have an open space from time to time in the service, maybe during, after a sermon. And so in the past, we've I've printed off or brought my books and stuff and opened stuff up so that people could read selections during the open space. My only contribution to your um, suggestion to reading Birmingham, the letter from the Birmingham jail, I think in the same way I'm, 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 I get itchy around Paul's letters, uh, I think it's really helpful to read that uh, with the letter from, because it's in response to a letter from the mainline pastors, right? Uh, uh, I think it's really helpful to start or end reading them together. I think really helps you fully yeah. understand it because the temptation, even knowing that it's from the mainline pastors, right? You can still demonize those folks pretty easily, but when you read the read their letter, there are parts that that are sometimes kind of compelling, right? Like, yeah. If you, it humanizes them, right? It makes it a little more real. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that we, that I feel like we need to, really need to do, right? We have this, I just read uh, Trevor Noah's memoir, really, really good. One of the things that you can do when you're just feeding babies, listen to audiobooks. books. <laughs> <laughs> audiobook. And he's the thing where he's like, he's like, you know, in Germany, when they talk about Nazi Germany, they're like, they really, they really wrestle with it, right? They're like, when they teach it in school, it's like, this is this thing we did. It was really awful. We can't do this again, right? Like, and they really like, it's very present in the way they teach mm -hmm. history. In South Africa, he says in South Africa and in the United States, it's a much more like, well, there used to be slavery and then there was some Jim Crow and then we moved past it. Great. <laughs> yeah, right. And it makes too, right? Um, I grew up in North Carolina than it was for me in Chicago, but sort of in general, like we have this kind of like, yeah, we've moved on, right? Like, we had, oh yeah, we had these like tough things and then we like moved on from them. But to recapture this sense of like a genuine like debate and fight that was taking place, right? And uh, and with Dr. King, that fight really becomes that it's not it's a socio-political but also theological debate, right? Mm -hmm. About what matters to us as people of faith, right? And this was like a live debate when it when it becomes this thing where it's like oh it's so obvious like oh those people were wrong and this, these people were right. Yeah, that might be true, right? But to recapture this sense of like, this is a real fight that people are having. Um, and I think when we can get back to that, like you said, like read both sides of it, when we can get back to that, then it might help us to navigate the issues that we face in 2017, right? Because it's much harder to say what's obviously right and what's obviously wrong now than it is to look back, right? I'm interested in contrasting comparing the the white clergy in Birmingham uh, to Dylan Roof, right? Like, Yeah, to wrestle with that piece of it. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, 
that in. I hadn't even thought about that. Right, because Dylan Roof is a crazy person, right? Like, right. extremist. He's clearly a bad guy. And this might be relevant, but yeah, like, like clearly he's a bad guy. So, like, maybe this makes us too partisan, but I remember reading some of the few conservative friends I have left on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, you know, oh, they voted for Trump, but they're not... You know, yeah, they're like these neo-Nazis that are really excited. But come on, that's not all of his supporters. So, like, that's really a small percentage. So stop calling everyone, like, racist, right? And I think, and it really, like, the, the first thing I immediately thought of was, like, Letter from Birmingham Jail, where King argues that, like, look, our problem is not the extremists. Our problem is the moderates, is the white moderates, who just want us to, like, take our time. And, like, they're the ones that are slowing things. Yeah, like the yeah, if that makes sense, right? The problem is, mm-hmm. yeah, Dylan Roof is a is clearly a problem. He killed all these people, um, but the problem is uh, much deeper than that, right? And broader than that. And so, how do we how do we wrestle with that? How do we make that real? How do we not just say this is this one you know nut job and to say no, like this is a disease a sickness that um, that really infects our society in different ways, right? That mutates in different ways in different generations. <laughs> Um, cool. I think this is all going to tie together. I'm excited with where this is going. I think this could be a really fun uh, confluence of events in E2A, as I like to call it, Epiphany 2A, uh, and MLK Day. E2A MLKD is, I think, the very convenient hashtag for this on the Twitter. Because I think that means it's um, it's approximately time for the text, Mountain Standard Time. Time for the text? Time for the text. T4T. T. T4T. T4T2. TXT. Yeah, I feel like we're going to need some. We're going to need what? Sound effects. Nick, can you make a sound effect for Time for the Text? Well done. Well done. So are, are, we doing, are we just diving into the gospel readings? Let's Friday just dive into the gospel. That's all we, we've, we've, we've meandered in MLK Day for a while. Uh, okay, so we got the gospel according to John. We're in the year of Matthew, but in every year, um, Mark most of all, but every year we get some John that sneaks up in there. So we have a reading from John. What do you think about John? Do you like John? I used to not like John. Yeah. Um, I, John continues to grow on me. I mean, it's kind of nerdy stuff, right? But, like, there's a cohesiveness to John that I appreciate. There's less random stuff that feels kind of stuck in, you know? Um, So I like that part of it. I think there's a lot of... I have a lot of stumbling blocks in John, and the more that I wrestle with it, the more comfortable I get with them. And we're going to hit one of them today. But my biggest stumbling block is uh, the emphasis of John on belief, um, and I can get into it. I can, I can, I can get down with his belief, but it's not the way he uses belief is not the way that most of the church and most of Christianity has has used it. And I think that's a really significant difference that bothers the shit out of me. I'm hoping to grow into John, and he does sometimes. I guess, I guess I should like him, right? Because he's all about like images and signs, mm-hmm. right? Think about images, and I'm an image preacher my, my better sermons usually have a central image um but he gets like you get all twisty the language is so twisty and turning that sometimes it's really <laughs> hard to follow mm-hmm. <laughs> um and you can sit there like unpack it but then it's like oh anyway making it clear it's uh takes some extra work i think mm-hmm. sometimes making it clear i like it matt because that is an excellent entryway into today's uh text it's kind of strange i had to read the backstory because we're in the first chapter and we start in the 29th verse so the second half of the first chapter of john and jesus has not shown up yet that's the key thing here john's been standing out in the wilderness saying crazy things Some people have come to ask him what he's talking about he's talked about it um and here in this first verse we first get jesus showing up in the narrative in the story of john uh when it says that on the next day john saw jesus coming toward him and declared actually here's what it says right i dug into the greek this week because ah. <laughs> yeah uh 
First of all, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, and here's what he actually said. NRSV says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a whole big thing for us to unpack. But what he actually says in the Greek is, behold, or look, which mirrors. It's the exact same as he says later uh, with the disciples when Jesus walk by, walks by and he says, look, here is the Lamb of God. This story of John first encountering Jesus is all about sight and seeing, right? John sees Jesus coming towards him, and he says, look, because there he is, right? And then he saw the, the Spirit descending from heaven, uh, right? And that uh, he does this stuff so that Jesus might be revealed, uh, might be seen by Israel. Oh, my gosh. And then later on, right? Look, here's the Lamb of God. We're seeing it again. The next day, John, again, was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, look, all there, right? And so Jesus turns because these disciples start following him. And he says, what are you looking for? Uh, and they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? But that's not actually what he says either, man. This is John. We're going to drop a big, a big John buzzword. What he actually says is, where are you abiding? Oh, wow. And that's my tangent on belief, right? For John, belief is about abiding, it doesn't have to be anything to do with intellectual knowing or sort of heart knowing, but abiding. And so they ask, where are you abiding? And what does Jesus say, Matt? What's he saying? Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. The answer to that question lies in sight. It's all about seeing. All about seeing. And unfortunately, was it last week? A couple weeks ago, I already used my, uh, my Hank Williams song for the playlist, I Saw the Light. But I think Hank is wrong. I think Hank's wrong because here's my thing on light, my Lutheran take on light, is that seeing is an inherently passive act, right? We think about seeing like we're the X-Man who has one eye, who's that Cyclops, right? We think about seeing like we shoot lasers out of our eyes that scan everything and give that information back to us. But that's not how sight works. Your eyes are holes into which waves of light come. When you see things, you are struck, physically struck uh, by matter, right? By waves of light. And so the temptation with John always, right? He's like, if only they'd see, if only they'd see. Yeah, you got agency in this, but you're not going to be able to see nothing if nothing, if, if the light doesn't come to you. So you're more of a STEM person than I am, but uh, here's my baby knowledge that I'll also throw out there. So apparently like, so my, my girls are like two months old. And apparently exercise for them is just like trying to hold, trying to focus on one thing, right? Like just like with their eyes, like trying to actually see something, yeah. like hold focus. Or like it's a big developmental milestone when their eyes can follow something, right? Like that's a, like they can't, they don't, they're not born being able to do that, right? Yeah. So like exercise, seeing is exercise for them, hmm. right? Seeing is exercise. Right? But now I think like that doesn't negate yeah. Like, you're right. They're still helpless, right? Like, it's still got to come to them. It's not like they can, like, go seek out anything to see at this point. Um, and yet, somehow, it is still, it's like, it's a big deal, right? It's not like, I don't know. I don't know what that adds to it, but somehow, it adds something, I think. I like it. I think it's, like, the perfect, the, like, I think it's the perfect, the sort of Lutheran, both-and-ish, third-way kind of thing, right? It's mm -hmm. both, right? You have to exercise seeing. Um, you have a lot of agency. Come and see. But in yeah. the end, it's not about you. It's about the light that's that's coming to you, which gets hey. me back on that abide. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Jump in. No. <laughs> Wait, random aside. I was like, oh, that's actually a good. I could I could use this as my image. But how often can you preach about your babies? Do you have any advice about mm, that? Man, I don't think but, we're the right people but, for this. No, <laughs> I. <laughs> I preached once on the babies before baby singular very clear before she was born uh, had a spectacular Christmas sermon about my unborn child um, I mean I think I think now is the time yeah right I think you can get a lot in now yeah. but I think once they become more human nobody wants to hear that <laughs> Okay. Right. I think the closer you are to helping, um, the the further along they get. I think my daughter is getting close to this age, where she's less preachable. You know, 
the closer you can get to that mystery of life, that there's insight in that helplessness, in that, in the non-humanness of it all. Uh, yeah. So I'd encourage a bunch of that, right? I think that's worth reflecting on and, and that people can hear, even when you have grandkids and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, as long as you're not preaching on, like, the innocence of children and how they innately love and they say the darndest things and that kind of crap, uh, I'd say go for it. Now's the time. And it can help you access what I think is, like, this really critical part of preaching that I don't think we get to do enough of in, like, teaching preaching in seminary because I think it's a difficult skill that most of the time maturity-wise folks are probably not ready for. Uh, I think the thing that makes sermons really can be unlocked to make sermons really powerful is when you're preaching about a thing that means a whole hell of a lot to you that you have a ton of personal investment in. But to be able to do that in a way that's controlled, there's a line there. I'll, I'll have sort of like emotional or like profound experiences that I know fairly soon after they ha they've happened, right? That there's a deep theological dimension to this and I wanna reflect on it, but I've gotta work through and process it before I'm ready to take that into a pulpit. So when I preached a year ago about my unborn child and my sheer utter fear with the change that she was bringing, this was not the first time I had thought about that, right? Uh, I had explored it enough to know what was there and, and use it, right? And not just to use it intentionally and not just let it be a thing that happened, right? right. Yeah, but also something that I think um, has deep meaning for other people, right? So one of the things that I've learned about myself is that I'm not a very down-to-earth person. <laughs> it's really sad because, like, that's what people people love, like, the folksy preacher, and I'm so not folksy because I'm all, like, I, like, have geek culture, and I'm all about big ideas. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever like, thought of this? Right? Like, that's a lot of people like, like, don't care about that at all, right? But, like... <laughs> But babies get you down to earth pretty quick. You're mm -hmm. dealing with poop and food and like things that other people in the congregation have dealt with, right? And so like, um, I also think it humanizes you as a preacher, or at least it has for me. I feel like I'm in the second honeymoon at the moment. That may not last that long, but at nice. least the moment, right? Like, mm -hmm. so. Sweet. Anyway, tell me about abiding. Abiding. So, right, for John, believing means that you're abiding in Jesus and right this quickly becomes like really can become a really esoteric thing um, right that image uh, vine branches all that kind of stuff that's kind of the ultimate symbol of it and so these potential disciples they're interested in abiding uh, they want to know where Jesus is abiding and what I want to lift up about it here is I want to lift up something that Jesus doesn't say he does say come and see a really easy answer the kind of answer that I would give Right? When somebody shows up to church in my community of faith and they say, what are you guys about? Where do you guys abide? My answer is going to be like, right here. You're it. This is it. Plop it down. Become a member. Like, there are lots of things you can do. Have you thought about giving? Right? Like, this is the place. This is where we do it. This is it. Right? It would have been way easier if Jesus had just been like, Right here. This is it. It's happening here. We're setting up camp. We're going to build this kingdom right here. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, yeah. But he doesn't, right? He says, come and see. There's this yeah. movement, this third way of, of what it means to abide. And so it takes this abiding, right? Like maybe maybe I hear abide and I'm, I'm really trying to get into it. And, and I, could, I could see myself very quickly falling into like, well, that means I need to go to church every week and sit in the pew and do the things that I'm supposed to do to check off all of my piety boxes. But, but Jesus abiding is a is a moving thing right it doesn't mean sitting still and so that's a part of my disappointment and frustration with the lack of mlk stuff on campus in boulder right like that that i found it to be when i was an undergraduate a really helpful way for me to abide uh by going and seeing um by becoming connected and a part of this larger place and community and so the default come in a day early Netflix for 24 hours before classes start, as much as that might look like abiding in your abode, I don't think that's the kind of abiding Jesus is talking about. And so for communities of faith, for churches, for student communities, uh, a week after our, our live pod in Chicago, 
that was a really important thing for us to do, right? That's what abiding looked like for us. It meant getting in a van and driving for 14, 15 hours uh, across Nebraska and Iowa and Nebraska and Iowa and Nebraska and Iowa in Nebraska and Iowa to be with, right? To to walk with, to abide with the larger, the fullness of the community. I like that sense of, yeah, of moving. And so I know it's translated, where are you, where are you staying? Um, but what that makes me think of is when I worked in the, for CPE, I worked at a homeless shelter in Chicago, men's drop-in center during the day. And I wouldn't ask people like, I figured out at a certain point that, like you couldn't ask people where they lived, right? Because a lot of times people were homeless, like they didn't have a, like, mm-hmm. so what do you, what do you say? Well, the phrase that I would, that I came to use was, where do you stay at? It's sort of a slang term that, that can also mean, where is your apartment? Where is your house? But it might also mean just like, where do you lay your head at night, right? Yeah. And so that's like really open question, like, well, where do you stay at? And that might mean like a permanent place, but it might mean like, it might mean a lot of different things, right? So mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Something that seems relevant. Yeah. The sort of openness of where do you stay at. And I think the implication of Jesus' response to that question for the church is that you shouldn't have a house, right? Like abiding, staying with Jesus means movement. I have one other semantic question, Matt. Yeah. Quickly overlooked, overlooked. There's so much. I mean, that one of the drawbacks of John is the language can get all loopy and get lost in it. But then he also likes to drop really theologically heavy terms. There's so much stuff here, first of all, period, yeah. full stop. Yeah. You might miss this whole like John naming Jesus. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because you could preach for a month or two on <laughs> what Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world means what i want to slow down here to lift up to tie it all together i think i've got something that's going to tie together nicely uh and that is whose lamb is this (laughs) whose lamb is this i think we got to do gerard today so here's your your weekly gerardian medicine uh your weekly dose of gerard our assumption with our kind of sacrificial understanding is more that it's our lamb that this is the lamb we're uh, the sacrificial lamb that we're offering up to this vengeful God. That's not what it says here, right? This this lamb belongs to God, and there's a really kind of terrifying implication there, and that's that if this lamb belongs to God and it's a sacrificial lamb, who's God offering this sacrifice up to? Probably not God, because that doesn't make any sense and is extra convoluted. Right. More, more likely, God is offering this sacrifice up to us. And that yeah. we're the vengeful monsters who need the sacrifice to be made full. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Right, and if you hit, I mean, there's like, right, sin of the world. What does it mean that he takes away sin of the world? A million things that kind of go to Lutheran answer, right, is that sin is brokenness. And I like that, right, that this is a sacrifice offered to us in order that we might be made whole, that the brokenness may be removed, which I think supports this whole abiding movement, going going out, right, staying with the fullness of the people of God. Yeah, that's really extraordinary. I mean, that— you, Extraordinary right. people! That is the first name. I mean, I guess, like, so John opens with— uh, with the light coming into the world. So I guess you could say that that's like his birth story, but really, I mean, this is our encounter with Jesus in the flesh, right? And that's the first name that's thrown at him is Lamb of God. And then we get two other names though too, like that's crazy. So here's the Lamb of God. And then they said Rabbi, which is translated. And then we found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He gets three names just in this one one little story. Yeah, you could basically preach on this text for the rest of Epiphany, I think, and not uh, run out of things to focus on. Right? Oh, my gosh. I got one more thing I'll add. It's just, it, it just yeah. ties onto it, right? Because we're, we're skipping the whole part where a spirit descends like a dove on him. There's so much in here. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted to do a double header. You're insane. Um, the, the spirit descends upon him, and it, the spirit remains on him. So if you're looking for some tension, some old Gordon Lathropy juxtaposition, you've got Jesus' vision of abiding as a movement, uh, right? And that's intention and supported by, I think, a spirit that remains on him, right? The spirit doesn't remain on the house. I'm going to conjecture a bit here on John. I don't know John well enough to be able to make this assertion, but I imagine there's some like 
temple-y tensions in here. We're definitely still dealing with the temple that's been destroyed. Though that also feels wrong to me to make that assertion. But people in the pews don't know that. Preach whatever you want. Yeah, I know you thought it was crazy to do a doubleheader, but I want to do a doubleheader <laughs> because of so many themes. And I think that one thing that I'd like to figure out how to do in my context is to do, is to kind of do a two-part, I don't know, a two-part series thinking about thinking about this sense of your favorite word in the world, world call, the sense of call. And what, you, what you might be called to uh, in the year ahead or what, I mean, what, um, and next week, maybe we can talk more about what we think that means and how we might want to parse that out. But clearly there's a sense of an encounter with God. And one of the things that we talked about today was like, all right, so who is this God we're encountering? So what, if you're going to talk about calling, what we're called, like, you're going to think about who's doing the calling, who's mm-hmm. doing, who are we, being, who are we encountering? Um, who is this Lamb of God? And then also it seems like there's this sense of almost, I don't say like putting it off, but like, it's not like the there are clear answers that come right away, right? If one of the questions people has is like, what am I, what am I called to do? What, I, what, what do I need to do next? Like, you don't necessarily get that answer here, right? You get no. from it, right? Like you're invited to go on a little bit farther. I had to tell somebody my call story this weekend. It was, and I will, I will do more of that next week, but um, on the on the pod. But but for me, it really was more of a sense of like call to the next step, call to the next step, call to the next step. It is sort of come and see along the path. Right? Yeah. Once we don't get this master plan that arrives, uh, but we get a, we get an encounter that is full of mystery and wonder, and we're invited to. Uh, to keep moving, to move out, to move along, to move, right? We're invited to move. If that feels incomplete to you, dear listeners, it should, because this is only part one of a two parts. Oh, Matt, give me three minutes. In these next three minutes, what I'm going to do is we, ah, oh, man, this text like demands this, this, this needs like a three part podcast. Uh, the other part I'll unpack that I read a little bit this week on, uh, Lamb of God is a thing I think many Lutherans, myself incredibly concluded in this, shy away from that sacrificial imagery doesn't really speak to much of, of our, our understanding of God and, and our theology, right? I, I like the Girardian thing because it flips some of that and in, in, in invites me into that. Uh, one of the things to lift up, though, is that, that many of the Girardians will point to Lamb as being important. Uh, that, that the Lamb of God is a scapegoat for us, right? That it's a scapegoat for all the brokenness. But that it's important that it's a lamb. That if it's a scapegoat, it should not be a pretty little happy lamb. It should be the ugly, mean goat that's a real dick, uh, that doesn't give any milk, that's cursed, right? Uh, it, should be as ba- it should be as ugly as our ugliness. And that the reason it's a lamb is to point out how absurd our our system, our way of ordering ourselves and requiring a sacrifice is that it's a part of this whole bizarreness of God offering us a sacrifice and God's not offering us the, uh, the Baal worshipers. God's offering us this perfect sacrifice, right? Like, which is a phrase the Episcop- my Episcopalians use a lot, but don't unpack, right? Perfect sacrifice in like you demanded a sacrifice, so we're giving you look how ridiculous this is. Like you get the perfect thing to sacrifice. It clearly is not the root of your brokenness that you're seeking to cast down. So you're not going to use a pretty little lamb for your bulletin cover this week? Covered in blood. <laughs> you know, there's like <laughs> inside baseball coming up. There's uh, like a lot of like vestments and like pyramids and stuff that have like a lamb and like the like crawl, like long kind of pointy cross like through it. Yeah. Uh, a real life photograph of a lamb with a long pointy cross shoved through its. Well, I feel like it could be like a children's sermon. Like you get like the pretty little lamb and then you hand out like some crayons and you're like, now this should really be bloody. <laughs> so I need you to draw a heartwarming, heartwarming children's sermon with some activity, some creativity involved. It's not far away from. God, we're gonna go long. Uh, I mean, if we want to, if we want to tie back to Epiphany being a clarification of this baby who's coming to the world. Yeah. Here's the lamb. Here's your sacrificial victim. It's a baby, right? And we get all horrified at Herod wanting to kill all the children. That's us, man. That is us. And then that's what we do. Oh, man, so much resonance. MLK Day. Woo. So many things. Matt. This is a song about journey and travel and the gospel of Matthew that we're going to get to next week just 
it's a it's a it's a gospel for the road, man. Uh, uh, and and as uh, a person with with Rambler DNA uh, coursing through my veins, I cannot avoid a good rambling song for the playlist uh, when we get chances to ramble and go on the road. And so I'm going to lead us off with a little Abbott Brothers. I really enjoy it. It's a really fun song called the Traveling Song. Uh, I've got wheels to ride and wheels to run. Some say I got rambling in my blood. But no pretty girl can slow me down. I'll travel till my country home is found. I'll travel till my country home is found. And you have another? Is this another traveling song? I do. I do. Can't stop with one. Uh, Iris Dement. Are you familiar? No. Iris Dement sings on a number of John Prine tracks. She's got a really distinctive voice. Incredible songwriter. Uh, You may not want to listen to a full album of Iris because she has a very distinctive voice, but in small doses, incredible. Uh, and so she's got this beautiful song called Go On Ahead and Go Home, which, right, is what is the journey that Jesus is inviting us into this morning, uh, this evening, whatever time of the day you're listening to the podcast. But go on ahead and go home in the deep of the night, in the deep of the night, by the river so still where sorrows come to heal and wrongs are made right down. In the deep of the night, in the deep of the night, on a creaking porch swing, the ancient ones sing, everything is all right. Wow. Woo! Excellent. Mm. You have to look these up. You can find them on our Spotify playlist. Ba-boom. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's been a big week for uh, musical, live live music, musical touring announcements <laughs> in the world of live music. Uh, last week we got the Coachella lineup which is pretty exciting uh, for me and maybe we'll talk more about that we should have like a whole season devoted to Coachella I don't know which church season it is don't Usually you mean babe, don't you mean Dadchella I thought that's Dad-chella. what it was I'm not... but today today uh, my favorite band in the world U2 announced their uh, 2017 tour it is the 30th anniversary of the Joshua Tree so they're doing uh, a series of shows to commemorate that that's right. Uh, my bands are now so old that they're going on nostalgia tours. <laughs> it's a little sad, but also uh, incredibly exciting. So um, we're playing, uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for by you two. It's a yeah. classic that's going to show up on uh, its fair share of my podcast playlists. <laughs> but when Jesus begins, his first words in this gospel are, what are you looking for? Oh, you man. Know, and it is one, I think, that pulls us farther and farther along, right? That depicts the journey of faith, not as something still and settled, but as something that uh, that continually pulls us along into the next thing. Estamos buscando. Right? Small can quieter song. Sleep, sleep tonight, and may your dreams be realized. It's a beautiful track from the Unforgettable Fire, uh, a 1980s YouTube classic. You got anything else? Uh, I'm going to save my other ones for next week's call story that's what i'm starting to learn with the playlist on the podcast is yeah. uh, less is better because then you're <laughs> sitting here and you're like ah oh, hank williams would be great this week but i used it last week so i can't what's the good news matt oh my gosh uh i don't know what's your good news <laughs> Oh, man, I was buying myself time. Um, I mean, I think I think I'd probably start with something really general, a, a fairly common John good news statement that, that, that Jesus abides in and with us. But probably, and I think that in taking that towards a movement thing, right? I think I want to move through the whole thing, the the pa- passivity of, of looking, of seeing, um, and in that passivity, Jesus dwelling in and with us, but then also pulling us into the future, walking with us, come and see um, the Spirit dwelling upon us wherever we are, uh, is I think the kind of news that, I think that's the good news. I, well, I mean, okay, I'm going to back it up in in. This will be our first Sunday, probably with most students back. We're beginning a new semester, uh, and the spring semester always moves really, really quickly. And a part of that, I think, the speed of the spring semester is that this semester will bring transitions and changes uh, in ways the fall semester does not. Uh, Our seniors, right, they'll have to do something in May, um, right, after graduation 
life will change in significant ways. This is when our juniors really start to, the reality that this experience will come to a close, I think really starts to sit in. Freshmen going home for the first summer. A lot of change is really on the horizon uh, for students this semester. Most of the time they begin it not knowing where they're going to go, right? Summer jobs, summer internships, post-graduation jobs, they haven't been figured out yet. Grad school's not figured out yet. Um, and I think in a really important way, the beginning of the spring semester is the beginning of a journey of which we do not know the end. Uh, yeah. And so um, I think that's good news that, that God can, God will abide with us wherever that journey may take us, even if that journey calls us deeper into being where we are. It's really interesting, right? It's not, not a, I don't know, it's not one of those, it's not a, I guess it's not a good news with finality. It's a good news with um, with an invitation attached. Um, it's, to, it's a to be continued good news. Um, Jesus invites us to uh, come and see what's next. Mm-hmm. That's the best news I got so far. I like it. It's also not come and do, right? Come and see. Yeah. You don't got to yeah. do nothing, man. Just abide, man. Are you going to go Big Lebowski on that? that? <laughs> yeah. This is Big Lebowski Sunday, I guess, right? I should have figured that out ahead of time and uh, checked out the soundtrack to the Big Lebowski so that we could have a Here really good a- playlist. We'll talk California in Spanish by the Gypsy King. Thank God for Google. 1998. Wow, that was a long time ago. There's some Dylan on there. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Woo. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it, man. CCR, Tito Puente. All right, Matt. Not the Eagles. He hates the fucking Eagles. <laughs> <sighs> well, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm a nervous wreck. I'll be a nervous wreck tonight. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were yeah. going to go to like the official like Clemson watch party in downtown Denver, but then I decided that my nerves could not handle that. So I'm going to watch by myself at home, which is the best way to do it. Because if I were to go, I would have jinxed them by going. So I got to do all my, my things. Last year, we had it was a big thing with people and stuff. So not this year. All right, Matt. I've got to go get a baby.